We've, this is the third talk in a series on Psalms. The, the brief was, the speaker was to speak about their favorite Psalm. Andrew Lubbock spoke about Psalm 51. James Coates last week spoke about Psalm 24. And maybe in light of doing Psalm 51, I have a confession to make. I don't really have a favorite Psalm. I like in Psalms how Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 are right next to each other. Like the juxtaposition of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is next to a Psalm that talks about how Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and he will fear no evil for their rod and their staff comfort me. I like how at the end of Psalms, the last five end on triumphant praise. But I don't really have a favorite. So what I did for this series was I looked in the prayer book and tried to work out what the Psalm of the day was and it was this little section from Psalm 119. I'm like, I don't mind Psalm 119. It's about reading God's word. I'm like the life group guy. I'm the Bible guy. I like people reading the Bible. We'll talk about that. And Psalm 119, I think, actually is pretty clever. It's the longest psalm because it's a very long acrostic poem. It doesn't really come through in our English translation, but the poem has 22 stanzas, one for each of the 22 Hebrew letters. Each stanza has eight lines, and each of those lines start with the same letter as it goes through the alphabet. And the content of the psalm itself is about God's word, and the building block of words is letters. So thematically and structurally, words and letters are the focus of this psalm. Now, most commentators think that this psalm was written after Israel had been sent into exile. There's no mention of the monarchy. There's no mention of the sacrificial system. There's no mention of the temple. This leads people to think that during this point in Israel's history, when they had been conquered and taken out of the promised land, the Torah, their law, became the main symbol of God's presence with his people. And the law here serves as a kind of shim between the people and God. The righteous love God, so by extension they love his law. Those who are unrighteous are condemned by the law. And it's used as a just means of punishment and judgment on those who do not follow it. And so our little stanza that we're looking at today is for the letter Nun, or our letter N. It's their 14th letter out of 22. So for a bit of fun, I went to ChatGPT and did some fancy computer AI work to, to see what would this stanza sound like if every line started with the letter N in English. This is what it came up with. Yeah, that's, yeah, that one. Nurturing my path, your word is a lamp for my feet. Nourishing my journey, a radiant light that guides. Never will I waver from the oath I have sworn. No compromise, I shall keep your righteous judgments. Narrow is the road, trials before me heavily. Nevertheless, revive me according to your word. 
Noble Lord, accept the offering of my mouth. Nurture me in your ways. Teach me your divine decrees. Never will I neglect your law, my life's compass. Noble devotion, I meditate on your righteous statutes. Never will I yield, ensnared by the wicked snare. No strain from your precepts, my heart remains steadfast. Nurturing my soul, your testimonies I embrace. Nurturing joy, my heart delights in your internal inheritance. Nearer each day, my heart leans to your commands. Noble commitment, forever I will follow your ways. Now that's not quite the Bible. That's not an accurate translation. But it kind of gives you a flavor or a sense of what the psalm is kind of all about. But in a real translation, in a proper one, this little stanza starts off with one of the most famous lines about God's word. God's, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. In this little section, we can see that God's word is a good guide for us. God's word is a lamp, not for our minds, but for our legs, so that we know where to go. In our section, the psalmist also says they have vowed to follow God's righteous laws, that they will not stray from God's precepts. The idea of following and not straying gives us the sense that God's word is more than just information. It's a guide for us to live, for us to not sit and think about it, but to use for action. And God's word is linked with how we view God. It's the main way we get to know who he is, what he's done for us, and how he wants us to live. As Christians, to know all the facts and figures contained in the Bible is not the end for which God has given us his book. The purpose is that we might see God and know him. And God's word is good. It's God's. Uh, in, Psalm, in verse 107, God's word gives life. I like what the Holman have said in this verse. I am severely afflicted. Lord, give me life through your word. It is God's word that gives life, and it also gives joy. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are a joy of my heart. So in all this, we see that God's word is a good guide, for it gives life and joy. It's a way for us to know who God is and his will, and it is good. And in response to all of this, the psalmist, they have determined to learn and follow God's word. They make an oath, following, asking God to teach them. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. And the last verse, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. They are determined to follow God's decrees till the very end. And this is not a comfortable situation that they find themselves in. Just in this section of the psalm, it mentions how they have suffered much, how there are wicked who want to trap them. But regardless of what they are facing, they vow, vow, they make up their mind that they will follow God's word till the end. 
The psalmist sees great value in God's word, for it is a good guide. And while things may be hard, God's word is something they cling to, for it is a source of life and of joy. What is interesting is that God's word is talked about as being a light. And we sort of have this connection in the English language as well with wisdom and light. We might talk about having insight or illumination, someone having a clear vision, or they might be brilliant. There was a movement 20 years ago, pushed by the new atheists at that time, and they tried to coin a new term for their movement. Everyone who would adhere to their naturalistic worldviews, they could then be called a bright. And everyone who did that, and who also registered on their website, could be called a capital B bright. Nearly 80,000 people signed up to be a capital B bright. This short-lived movement, although their website is still up, is reminiscent of the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th century. This was a rebellion against the religious teachings over society, and they sought to free the people from the Dark Ages. In the Enlightenment, reason and science would win, and the old ideas of the past would be swept away. Voltaire, he was a key player in this movement. He said, the Bible. That is what fools have written, what imbeciles command, what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. Voltaire said, within 25 years, the Bible would be forgotten and Christianity would be a thing of the past. About 50 years after his death, an evangelical society in Geneva bought his house and printing press and used his own printing press to print the Bible and other Christian pamphlets in his very own home. Our own human reason didn't and can't lift this world into some enlightenment or new utopia. Today, despite all our progress, we still need God's word to direct us. Our world thinks it doesn't need a higher authority telling us what to do, that we can be free and do our own thing. But that simply doesn't work. We need the creator of the world and the creator of us to tell us how to live the right way. We have always needed that because other guides will not penetrate the darkness of this world, this darkness that we are all a part of. Other guides do not give life and joy, but death and disconnection. And the good news is that we have God's word today where we can read about the good news of Jesus. We do need to remember that for us, there's a little disconnect between what the psalmist is saying for himself and for us today. Yes, I'm going to learn, land on the idea that we should read our Bibles. I do think it is essential and life-changing. But to look at this psalm about the law, we need to remember that our relationship with God and his law is different to the psalmist. If the series on the covenants that we just did last term has taught us anything, it's that we are the new covenant people. God's law is to be written on our hearts. We have the spirit to help us and empower us to live out God's laws. 
with the full and complete word about Jesus and how he saves. We may not meditate on Leviticus and come away with great joy. We're not Israelites moving into the promised land or living under a repeated sacrificial system. We can and should still read God's law in the Mosaic Covenant, for it tells us much about God and us and how he wants his people to live. It talks about how there is sin and sacrifice and redemption. But now we read the law knowing how sin and sacrifice and redemption is fully completed in Jesus. And we have instructions on how we are to live, not in a promised land under our own monarch, but under different governments in love and submission to each other. And just this week past, in our soap readings, I didn't plan this, but we were reading from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus fulfilled the law. It didn't pass away, nothing disappeared from it, but Jesus accomplished it. So we have a new relationship with obeying God. We have Jesus' teaching. And near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And how will we know what the will of his Father is? Three verses, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. As followers of Jesus, we are to hear from Jesus, looking to him for our instruction. And I hope we see that this instruction is good. It's worth studying and obeying, for Jesus tells us how to live. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us to remember and to understand. We have easy access to God's word and are literate, so we're skilled enough to read God's word for ourselves. And the main point of biblical instruction hasn't changed. We are still to love God and to love others. In term one this year, if you cast your minds back, we looked at a section in John 14. Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make a home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. If you love Jesus, you will obey his commands and do the will of his Father, for love and obedience are connected. So we still read God's word and obey Jesus' instruction, not to earn salvation, but as a way of showing love to God and others, to know what pleases him and how best it is for us to live with him and with each other. And so... We have access to God's word today, and so the most poignant question to ask is, do you read God's word? Sometimes we may find it hard to read. Some of us may right now feel a little bit guilty and uneasy. Don't get me wrong, there are passages that are tricky to understand. Even Peter says some of Paul's writing is hard to understand. In this term, we're going to look at 1 Peter, and that has a section in it that I think is the hardest bit in the, old, in the New Testament. So good luck to us. But 
we may have times when we read the Bible and then we get up and think, what was that all about? What did I just read? On that note, I can't remember every meal I have ever eaten. Yet I know that I have eaten them because it's gotten me thus far. The food has done its work over time, even if I can't remember at all. And I think that's the same with reading God's word. But can I encourage you to say that God's word is good. It gives life. It tells us who we are under God, that we have been shown mercy, that we've been rescued, that on our own we can't think our way up to heaven or escape death, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and adopted us. And this produces joy and hope and confidence. I don't know if you think church and life group is all about growing in knowledge, that these things sort of make up your private, personal, biblical education. I hope it's more than that. Do you remember letters? They're like email, but you'd write on them and they're much slower. I don't know if you ever found yourself in like a long distance relationship with sending letters back and forth. When I was in uni, in the early 2000s, I would write to some people who attended this church when I was living in Sydney. Uh, we did beach mission together and about once a fortnight or once a month we'd write each other emails talking about uni, what we're up to and church. In a long distance relationship, those letters or emails, they contain information that would be passed on between two people. But the main point would be to maintain a connection with the other person. And the Bible is more like that. It's about maintaining a connection rather than an information textbook. And as we know more about God and what he wants for our life, I think we'll be more satisfied in him, in who he is and what he has done for us. Someone said, the benefit of the word of God acts more like vitamins. People who regularly take vitamins do so because of their long-term benefits, not because every time they swallow one of the pills, they feel new strength surge through their bodies. They've developed a habit of const const constantly taking, consistently taking vitamins because they've been told that in the long haul, vitamin supplements are going to have a beneficial effect on their physical health. So can I encourage you to read your Bible for the long haul? If you don't have a regular time, people suggest if you want to form a habit, you add it to something that you already do. If you make a coffee or a tea in the morning, add Bible reading to that. If you have a shower before bed, after, after your shower, <laughs> read his word. In COVID, in lockdown, I started a new routine of getting up at 6.30 half an hour before my kids are allowed out of their rooms. I would get up, make a cup of coffee, sit down, read the Bible and pray for the day. I've kept that up since lockdown. Sometimes it's only 10 minutes, sometimes on the weekends it doesn't happen, but it's become a regular habit. And I tell you that not to tell you how good I am, but to let you know that without that habit, I would be really bad at reading God's word. And please have confidence that you too can read the Bible for yourself. At St. Matt's, we have these SOAP readings as a framework to help and assist you in reading the Bible for yourself. 
This is a six day a week program. The weekdays are usually in a series. On Saturday, it's a psalm. And the passages generally complement the sermon or the life group passages that we're looking at. And in implementing this, we're not trying to be legalistic about Bible reading, but trying to encourage a habit of reading the Bible because God's word is good. It gives joy. The problem with the pressure of daily Bible reading sometimes isn't necessarily the task itself. It can be our heart. We can turn it into a legalistic task when the original intention is actually relationship. So give yourself grace. If you fall behind, don't feel guilty. If you haven't had a quiet time in three weeks, just start something now. It doesn't have to be good. It just can be better than what it is. And there's countless tools available out there to help. Last year, before we had this soap thing going, I uh, put the pressure on one or two of our life groups, um, asking people, do they read the Bible daily? One guy told me afterwards he felt challenged when I asked him. He ended up downloading the Our Daily Bread app, and he's been reading it ever since. Uh, there's podcasts out there, but I can't stand listening to conversational podcasts. They're like mirandering, unstructured chatter. But I used to listen to lots of sermons when I would drive to and from ANU. One time I thought I'd listen to the whole Bible. That's 75 hours. In a 30-minute car trip in one direction, that's 75 workdays. Or it would be sometime by mid-October if you start early this term. We also have life groups. Uh, these meet throughout the week for people to come together and read the Bible and to talk about it in a group. Attending a small group helps you in reading God's word. This term we're about to start a series on 1 Peter, booklets in the foyer, help yourself. We currently have around 40 life groups, which does sound large. But I think maybe half the people who come more than once a month to our services is in a life group. This term, we hope to start three more life groups. One will be aimed at uh, women in an evening, on a Wednesday evening. One will be aimed uh, for people in the Gordon area. And there'll be another one on a Tuesday afternoon for retired folk. If you're not in a life group, Please think about joining one and consider how a group like this may help with your relationship with God and his word. Feel free to see me afterwards, hit me up with an email uh, so I can grab your details and hook you up. I'll leave you with this image. This is not really my pun intended cup of tea. Hannah is from England, she loves her tea. I make her one almost every morning. I don't touch the stuff. But consider the difference between a strong and a weak cup of tea. It's the same ingredient. It's water and it's tea. They're used in both. The difference is the strong cup of tea results from the tea leaves immersion in the water longer, allowing the water more time to get into the tea and the tea into the water. The longer the steeping process, the stronger the cup of tea. In the same way, the more time we spend in God's word helps us adjust our palate for our taste of God's word. 
It determines how deeply we get into God's word and how God's word gets into us. Just like the tea, the longer we are in the word, the stronger we may become. God's word is a lamp to our feet. It gives life and joy. Will you, like the psalmist, make a commitment to not forget what it says and to follow it till the very end? I'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it be a lamp to our feet and bring us life and joy. Through your spirit, help us to seek your words and be determined to follow it till the very end. Amen.